This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Today we're interviewing and talking to Susan McConnell. Susan McConnell has taught IFS throughout the U.S. and in Europe since 1997. Her involvement as a senior trainer with the center includes developing training curricula, training IFS training staff, and designing and leading somatic psychotherapy retreats and seminars. In her private practice in Chicago, Susan specializes in recovering the wholeness of the body, mind, and spirit, drawing from her bodywork and movement experience, and also her Buddhist practice. She brings commitment and passion to her work and play with her partner and her dogs along Lake Michigan shores. Thank you, Tisha. How is it for you, Susan, to hear this bio? What parts come up? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I, um, you know, my dogs died, but I have a new one now. But um, so I guess it could be singular dog. But um, yeah, and my partner is now my wife. So um, anyway, but or my spouse. But anyway, it's. It's um, a little embarrassing, you know, bios are always a little embarrassing for me, but they have to be, they have to be um, written, you know, so people have an idea. And I like, I like how you read it, Tisha, it was good. <laughs> it makes me think about how um, I actually find myself going back to those early days. And actually, I feel very grateful that I got in on the ground floor, you know, it was, um, it was just a very potent and exciting time in, uh, in the development of IFS. And I got to be in a pretty close relationship with Dick and just felt, felt like I, I had a lot of influence on helping to forge the, the direction of IFS. Um, there's something about those beginnings that, uh, I mean, almost the beginning of anything that just really sort of brings out the best in me. Yeah. So it sounds like I read a little bit of an outdated bio and it brought you back to, to the early hey. days of, of hey. IFS. What, what was it, Susan, that, that brought you into the mental health profession to begin with? You know, my, uh, my early professional life was sort of um, hopscotching in a way back and forth between uh, the field, the, the field of the body work and somatics and movement and touch, and then the field of mental health, um, beginning with working with um, survivors of domestic violence when the first shelter for domestic violence opened up in Chicago, and I was one of the counselors. Um, from there, I went into um, body work, so I was always interested in integrating the two, you know, so after I had been in that field for about seven years and I was um, pulled into body work primarily because, you know, that was very, it was very common for us to burn out back then because we weren't really very well prepared for what we had, what we were going to be facing, the complexity of things and how, how complicated helping people extricate themselves from, um, from, violent situations was. So we, none of us lasted very long, but after seven years, I had some physical symptoms that um, Western medicine really couldn't explain or fix. So that took me into the field of, of different alternative medicines and eventually became a practitioner of different forms of body work. Um, and then of course, but even as I was learning it, I was really fascinated with how this might how our emotions and our belief systems might be showing up in our body symptoms and in our body structure. So I think that that fascination with, you know, the body came very early in my life. And so when, so actually my first um, extensive real experiential training in psychotherapy came with a Hakomi training. Um, and that was, I think, back in the early 80s when body and mind were hardly um, spoken of in the same sentence, let alone offered in a training. So when the Hakomi training, which was a body-centered form of psychotherapy, 
um, came to Chicago, I just jumped at the chance to learn Hakomi. And I was very, very content with the model and doing a combination of just seeing people face to face, but also seeing some people on my table. And whether they were sitting in, in a room with me or laying on my table with touch, I was always working kind of at that interface of mind and body. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model. And then it was actually the need for consultation that got me in touch with Dick Schwartz. Some of my Hakomi friends had, had uh, joined a consultation group with Dick and um, they, you know, they, they were saying that this, this consultation group, he offered not just consultation for our um, difficulties with clients, but he also was teaching this model that he was just putting together. That so, was the 80s? That was, well, no, the Hokomi training was in the 80s, but the, um, the consultation group was probably around 94, 95, something like that. The 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 90s. So I thought, well, okay, I, I, I'm happy to learn this model. People are saying IFS um, integrates really easily with the Comey. It's just, you know, a little, it isn't like a huge leap into a whole other, you know, paradigm, but it was um, also involving mindfulness and exploring our inner systems. And um, yeah, so, so I found myself even though I wasn't really looking for a new model, um, just looking for, for some help with a client that had um, attempted suicide, I was, I was really, really happy with Dick's approach and consultation, which wasn't really to say, well, you should try this or how about that, but it was helping me explore my own parts that came up in the relationship. And... Um, and doing, you know, like a session with me and helping me find my own parts. And I found that my relationship with my client improved because I was, you know, more, more in a greater state of self-energy than I had been when I was so concerned about her not killing herself. So that... Um, I, I was I, I was in the consultation group for a year or two and just kept learning more and more about the model as we as we met and he explained it as he was right around that time his book came out his first book came out yeah nineteen ninety five I believe yeah. so yes this is IFS talks an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers authors practitioners and users. So for you, Susan, there is a before and then an after IFS, like it was a stepping stone to you. Yeah, it was the consultation group was a stepping stone. And then it was actually a dream that launched me into teaching. Um, I, Dick had said to me, you know, if you really, if you want to learn the model more, more thoroughly, Susan, you could consider taking this training I'm going to be um, offering in Chicago. And, um, and I said, oh, I'll think about it. And then I had a dream where um, in the dream, I was at one end of a table with some Comey people. And then I saw Dick at the other end and I got up and walked down because I thought, oh, I want to ask him about the training. So I got up to, to ask him about the training. And he said, yes, well, I have two trainings and one has about 30 people in it. And the other training has like four people in it. And that's the one I want you in. Now, that made no sense to me because I had no idea how Dick organized the trainings back then. Mm -hmm. But what he said to me when I told him that was that the way he was organizing the trainings was that he basically taught the first, like, three-fourths of the day, um, talking and sharing about, you know, trying to teach people the model with, um, and by the way, no handouts whatsoever. Um, he's very auditory. And then did, doing a demo, and then people would talk about the demo. And then he said, I want four people to take a small group um, and um, lead the small group. And when he told me that he would expect me to be able to perhaps do a, you know, do a little demo, answer people's questions, 
come up with experiential exercises and lead the small group. I said, because at that point I was a Hakomi teacher and had been doing a lot of, um, you know, curriculum development as I developed a training of Hakomi for body workers and doing various workshops and trainings in Hakomi. So you have already some experience teaching, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I said, oh, I could do that. And he said, yeah, and I said, oh, absolutely. So he said, well, show up at the training. And um, he said, I'm not really sure who, who is going to be my trainers for this training, so I would love it if you would be willing to be one of the assistants. Now, he didn't, back then, he didn't insist that the, tra that the assistants show up for the whole day. And I said, I couldn't imagine not showing up for the whole day and then leading a group. I have to be there. Do you care? And he said, no, no, just, it's all right. Just, you know, no, you're not required. So I was actually the only one of the four who was there for the whole day. And so I got to learn the model along with the students and tried to step, stay one step ahead of them. And that, from then on, I was kind of hooked. Well, actually, that isn't true. I decided to teach in one more, um, to assist in one more training because uh, at that point, Beth had decided to learn the IFS model and she was going to be in the IFS, um, the next IFS training in the Chicago area. So I assisted in that one as well. And that was nice to share that experience with Beth and to learn even more deeply the, this model, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, sounds, of course, on, the, um, on one level, it sounds fairly simple, but I was beginning to understand the depth and complexity of it and glad to get a chance to uh, be more confident in it. So I was ready to move on to something else after the second training when um, the third training started and I found myself just wishing I'd been, I could be a part of it. And I called up Dick to find out how did it go? How did it go? And, and I said, Oh, I just missed you all so much. And at that point, a number of my friends and colleagues had joined the training and he said, we could really use you if you'd like. And I'm like, well, the training has already started. And he said, Oh, that's okay. Come. So I, then I was in the third training and, at that point, he, he was starting to get requests to teach IFS all over the country or in several places in the country and asked if I could travel. And at that point, my daughter was old enough that it was possible. And I said, yeah, I could travel. So that's when I started, you know, teaching in other states. And then by, I think it was 2000, I was teaching in Germany, which was a big leap for me to teach with a translator and to teach for, you know, six days in a row. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model. So that's kind of my early beginnings. Oh, I didn't finish the dream. Oh, so in yes, the dream. dream. Yeah, so uh, it, that was kind of a fun end of, ending of the dream because when Dick said, I want you to be in that small group of four people, um, in the dream, the music started, there was this music started playing. And, um, and we both stood up and, uh, and we started dancing, only I was in the lead. And Dick got this really sweet smile on his face and he said, I like not having to lead all the time. And so you danced with Dick in your dream, am I following you well? Dancing in the dream. And um, wow. he likes not having to lead all the time. And when I reflected on that dream, and particularly as IFS was already starting to spread, perhaps because of of the publishing of his book. That was um, the late 90s? It maybe? was um, 97. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe, maybe 98, 99. Yeah, late, late 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, so I realized at that point that, um, that Dick wasn't going to be able to teach in all of these trainings. And I started imagining, I thought I would like to teach these, some, in some of these trainings. But I started thinking, well, how can I do that? Because I can't be Dick. I have to be me. And so I started copying down his talks and um, introducing some of the experiential exercises that um, that we and the uh, that I and the other assistants were starting to just come up with, kind of on the spot, because we recognized that. Um, well, I particularly found that experiential exercises were so useful to, um, for adult learning. So I started recording these, both recording his, um, his talks as well as the, the exercises, and eventually put it 
in a, in a form of our first training curriculum. It was a really, really short period from learning the model to training, was it? Yes, it was compared to now. You're right, Anibal, compared to now where um, people might go through, you know, how, I don't know, assisting in what, five, six, ten? Decades, sometimes decades. Yes, decades. And for me, it was just a couple years. It was really, well, I didn't even take the training, as you can tell. I just basically started assisting immediately. Yeah. um, and then as time wore on, there were weekends when Dick couldn't make it either because he had double booked or was sick or something. And so um, myself and a couple other assistants were um, kind of acting first as substitutes. And then later as, you know, um, you know, sometimes last minute substitutes. And then, then the trainings began to be organized in terms of, well, I'll do the I'll do four of the weekends and you do two and then I'll do three and you do three and then how about if you do all six and anyway that that's really it just sort of um, morphed into a form of organization based on on the evolving needs you know of um, as a train as different people were wanting to be trained and so you yeah. could witness the beginning of, the, of all this movement trainings yeah. mm-hmm. and it was you know I remember writing. Um, Ready, you know, flying on the airplanes next to Dick and getting chances to just talk with him. And um, I remember one moment that was um, kind of solidified things for me in terms of whether IFS was really something I wanted to commit to for my professional life, because it, it took me a few trainings before I, I was really ready to do that. We were in Asheville, and um, and I. I wasn't really sure at that point because I felt that the model was a little too formulaic for me. I, um, I tend to be a little bit more kind of organic, go with the flow, you know, just tune in and see where it's going to unfold, you know. And, and we were teaching very step-by-step approach. Yeah, very and, di- directive way sometimes. Yes, yes. And, but then I would watch Dick do, do um, sessions. And I could just tell that even though, you know, that there was something just very much that transcended this formula, that, that was something very alive and almost pulsating or something, you know, in my soul when I watched him work. And, and it, was, it was very inspiring for me. And, and so then I, I got a chance to, to really share all this with Dick and the numerous times we would, you know, share meals together, or sit together and talk after the trainings and, and I just said, I told him about my, my concern that it was sort of too rote. And I said, but I see you work and I know it isn't. He goes, no, no, you know, the, the, the steps of the model are just there to help people safely enter the, an internal system. Um, but no, the, the model is not defined by that map. You know, the, 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 the work is very much more than that. And, and that was really, I think, the moment when I thought, yeah, this is for me. And so... From then on, I've been, I've been just, um, you know, finding ways to help out tra- primarily as a trainer, but I think some of my other um, loves has been to, um, you know, Dick saying I don't, I don't want to have to lead all the time, or I like, I like it when I don't have to lead. I thought, you know, I can't lead all the time either. I need to really. Um, um, develop other others' leadership as well. Other people to first, you know, assist and then um, become trainers. So that became became a real um, focus for for me as I was teaching in different places in the country and particularly in Germany. I thought, you know, we can't be flying across the Atlantic Ocean. We need to develop leadership over here. And however. IFS, the IFS model is going to flourish in foreign soil. You know, we need to make mm-hmm. space for that. So that became, that became one of my passions, um, along with my continued interest in integrating um, the somatic aspect into IFS. Um, and from the beginning, I felt permission and encouragement from Dick to do that. So... Um, and I think if I had not felt that, I, again, would have probably just gone back to a coma. 
This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model. How did that piece translate into your clinical work um, with, with incorporating somatic and IFS together? How did that show up uh, with your clients in the office? Well, that is, that's a question I wish I could answer. Um, yeah. uh, I, I would think that it, it was such a process to show. It was, um, it was really, just really years of, of exploration. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that grounded me in that, or, or sort of not just grounded me, but also encouraged me on that path, was Dick telling me that he learned the model from listening to his clients. So he, he really, you know, took a fresh start, of course, in integrating what he'd learned from his structural family therapy background, but also holding it somewhat aside and just offering different things as they popped into his mind with his clients about parts and eventually self. Um, and really, really listening very deeply to his clients to put that, into to to integrate that into the model and i think similarly my process involved um well i think first probably integrating some of what i did with hakomi mm-hmm. into ifs actually now that i think about it tisha at the beginning i tried to set a lot of the hakomi and my body work background to the side because I really wanted to learn pure, classic IFS. I felt if I'm going to be teaching this, I want to, to really do this, certainly in my demos and the, um, in the trainings. But also, at that point, I'm, I was getting more and more referrals from people, or, you know, re- yes, you know, requests for doing therapy because of IFS. So I wanted to, to do the model in a very pure fashion. But it was almost as if, in time, the, the, the body orientation kind of wanted to creep back in. It didn't want to be exiled. And so I certainly was noticing my own body um, as, a, as perhaps um, a consultant in the therapy office. So if I would feel agitated, it might be an indication that there's something going on in the relationship or perhaps with my client or even perhaps, you know, other body symptoms like a headache or something or or feeling tired might indicate if it wasn't mine, it might be um, something communicating to me from my client. Um, I also, um, because of my training in body work and in Hakomi, which was a lot of extensive um, practice and experience with observing people's bodies, their posture, their listening to the voice, the prosody of the voice, and, and noticing little movements and unconscious gestures and involuntary movements. And, and um, you know, so I was, I, I was just trained in tracking that stuff. I couldn't really help myself but to keep noticing that. And eventually I found ways to bring that in to my IFS interventions. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. In your chapter, Embodying the Internal Family, you introduced this concept of embodied self, and you described the five tools of somatic IFS, and you say these tools are somatic awareness, Conscious breathing, somatic resonance, mindful movement, and the tuned touch. So these five tools. And then you illustrate their applications to cases involving addiction, complex trauma, chronic illness, as well as body image. Um, Could you tell us more about what exactly these tools are and how do they help in the... Yes, and and in um, in the years since I wrote that chapter... I've switched it just a little bit. Um, someone suggested that the word tools didn't quite work, and I came up with the word practices. I like that word better. So okay. I call them the five practices of somatic IFS. 
And I felt like I'd used somatic too many times in somatic IFS and in somatic awareness. So now I, um, I thought about rather than somatic resonance, I wanted to think of another um, adjective. And so I came up with radical. And, um, and radical, um, the Latin root of the word radical means um, root, actually. So, um, so with resonance, we go back to the root, even back to the embryological roots of, um, of, of attachment, um, of the attachment process. But um, yes, you know, I, I, I guess I, sh I could say that I, I, I wanted to come up with a way to convey, people were wanting to know, how do you, what is it that you're doing? You're, something, you're doing something a little different, you know, than, mm -hmm. uh, than some, what some of the other trainers. Um, sometimes in trainings where people were having, having Dick as a trainer and then me as a trainer, they'd say, there's something different you're doing. I'm not sure if it's simply because you're a woman and there's sort of a gender difference or if there's something else, you know. Um, so, so I was really, you know, attempting to come up with a way to convey what it, what it is I do and how to integrate the body more fully into IFS for people, for those people who, who wanted that. It, and it wasn't really because I feel that the IFS model is lacking in any way. Um, and yet, like I said, there are some people who, who, um, who want to have a more embodied approach to their therapy, particularly because different, um, it's just becoming a lot more popular and it's becoming, particularly with a lot of the neurological research, people are aware that there's a, um, that there's a real body component to trauma and to relational trauma and attachment wounds, as well as almost any, um, any psychotherapeutic um, issue. So um, I came up with those five practices as a way to help people begin to bring the body in more fully. So I could, I could sort of try to summarize each of those if you'd like. You, you want me to? Uh, you, you were somehow honoring your past uh, experience as a... It was more body work, really. Body I studied work. body work for quite a few years. I did, I did um, study some different movement. Um, practices as well and different somatic practices but as a professional body worker I was doing structural therapy and craniosacral therapy yes and also honoring Akwami once Akwami is yeah so much body based yes and and other things too I've studied with quite a number of other uh, approaches um um Pat Ogden and Susan Apashian and um just different people to to integrate different different um, body orientations, different somatic psychotherapy orientations. Yeah. And I, I understood that those tools are practices and tools to assess self that helps you to assess uh, self and helps others to assess self, being themselves. Um, not, not totally. I mean, they, they, I say they lead to a sense, to a state of embodied self. But I would say that these practices combined with the IFS model um, take us to embodied self so that they each of the practices can be used with every step of the model so they help us you know with those f's finding the part okay each of the practice helps with focusing on the part they of course obviously help us fleshing out the part mm -hmm. um they help us with um find um how do you feel towards the part and they help us with witnessing the 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 part story through the body, through movement, through touch, um, and through resonance, of course. And they also help us with unburdening and with the integration and uh, restoring of all the resources after unburdening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, I find myself that, they, that each of these practices, um, you know, when I begin to get stuck or don't quite know what to do or my client is uh, has a part that's very blended or um, they're getting overwhelmed, I just pull out one of these practices and, um, and, and, and use that right in that moment and, and it gets us back on track. So the body has a safe resource, as a safe place to, to come back or as a resource to help in all those processes that you just described. During Generally the speaking, now of course for some people the body is not a safe resource. Okay. So, but, but for them, you know, for a person 
who's, who has this, the severe trauma or even relational wounds that, um, that make for them the body um, a, a threatening place, then I would work differently trying to help restore their sense of the body being a place where they can be at home and be safe. And, and that, I think, helps to round out a person's experience so that they're not just healing um, verbally and, um, and cognitively and even emotionally, but they're also healing somatically mm-hmm. and restoring their aliveness in their body and their, their abilities to really be you know, fully embodied. You know? This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the Internal Family Systems model. Would you be willing to share uh, an example, either specifically or kind of a general theme that you have run across around working with IFS somatically? Um, Something that that you've noticed that happens that creates shifts in the internal system? Um, Let's see. Thinking about um, a, a client who who recently um, contacted me because he has um, physical symptoms that, that again, no one can explain. And, and even IFS, he's been through the IFS training, but IFS, um, the demos he's had, the, the, the sessions he's had working with an IFS trainer has not really, even doing past life stuff, it hadn't really made a dent in the really paralyzing um, physical situation he was in. So um, the, I've worked with him now three times. And, uh, and in, that, in those sessions, I've used certainly somatic awareness, you know, just bringing his awareness to the, symptom, to the physical sensations that he feels. And also um, touch, my touch and his touch, an imaginary touch. And, and in the last session, um, the last session, we actually worked um, uh, prenatally with having him, um, I don't remember exactly now why I did this, but um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, did, I had him go inside and um, this is some of, the, some of what I've been learning in, in my studies with this teacher on embryology, which is that our cells organize um, within the first week or two um, before we even have any identifiable features you know, mm-hmm. in the fetus. It's organizing along um, a vertical line with the front body and the back body. And the front body um, is, is very you know, changes, reorganizes and reorganizes until eventually in, a, in our bodies, the front body becomes the digestive organs and the back body becomes eventually the skin and the nervous system. So in our front body, we have, um, we have um, nourishment, right? Which is what each of us need in order to survive. And the back body provides protection which is also a very basic need. Now, this man, um, his, his parents had been married for 12 years before they had a child, and it was never explained to him until we found out from another source that his mother had, been, um, had, had had several miscarriages and obviously never processed her grief around that. So I think that is really why I went to the, the womb, actually, because I, I wondered whether the, the source of um, basically the body story wanting to be expressed in his body perhaps went that far back to when his mother first realized she was pregnant. And this is the radical resonance here, because I just imagined that as a, um, I remembered how delighted I was when I found out I was pregnant. And I wasn't burdened by multiple losses that would have maybe shadowed my delight and excitement. Mm-hmm. And I just thought how a, a woman who's not who's experienced all those losses and you know would be have fear and uh, a reluctance to feel any excitement at all, you know. And I just started wondering if this could be the core. So 
I had him get in touch with, um, through his own, his own touch and his awareness and his breath with his navel and, um, and had him reimagine forming, you know, from, from that front body outgrows this stalk, which plants like he or his, his um, developing organism made the um, powerful decision to reach out and connect with his mother's body, the placenta. And, um, and the back body eventually became an amniotic sac, which held him mm-hmm. in this wonderful safe bubble. And then, of course, like I said, both the umbilicus, umbilicus and the amniotic sac then changed in multiple ways. Again, this is a, uh, such a tribute to our very young organism's ability to be creative and to communicate and to, and to collaborate, um, to, to just keep functioning to give us the nourishment and the protection that we need throughout our lives. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model. So that's, that's probably the most recent example I can think of where um, I've used quite a number of those, um, those practices to hopefully begin to get at the root of, of some of these mysterious um, body symptoms and emotional symptoms that seem to be just preventing him from moving ahead in his life. Right. It sounds like a mix between your intuition and his self-energy and knowing that brought him to a place that cognitively he wasn't getting to. Yes. He felt, he felt um, at the end, he felt um, relaxed. um, Mostly a a big reduction in his symptoms and, um, and just really hopeful that, that the direction that we're um, moving in is is it for him? So so that but that's um you know sections like that are very our clients like that are um, kind of keep inspiring me to keep um, keep trying to synthesize a uh, you know this somatic IFS to, to really keep bringing together what I've learned and what I continue to learn about the body and like you say Tisha my own, you know, just my own intuition, whatever that is. I think that's some combination of, of um, you know, it's very right brain, I think. And, and so much of, of our communication, particularly in the therapy office, is really right brain to right brain communication. And much of it we're not attending to. Much of it we're only attending from our left brain to what's being spoken. And so much of the... the um, the part stories are happening before we even have the words or the cognition to recount the story. So I think if we're not paying really good attention to, um, to what's happening in our bodies and in our clients' bodies and helping our clients to bring their awareness to that as well, then um, we, we may not be able, we may not be helping our clients as much as we could, you know, as if we're only listening to half of the story in a way, you know, and maybe not even most important to have. Yes, and uh, reconnecting with our bodies, so healing, Percy, isn't it? Yes, I mean, and it's not, I, I really don't, I don't think I'm somebody who's walking around fully connected with my body. I mean, I think many of us are getting, we get distracted, right? We get distracted all the time by our devices and working and thought thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, so for me, it's continually just coming back. Oh, and what's, what's going on right now? And how can my body inform me about who I am and what I'm needing yeah. and what I want to say? So, for example, in an interaction, you know, I might feel reactive. But if I take a moment and just stop and before I speak and before I behave and before I, I, I act, I just take a, take a moment and tune in. That helps me find the vulnerability, right? Or find the part that wants to defend me against the vulnerability. So it's, for me, a continual process that helps me be more in self-energy. And that's why I have that adjective embodied self-energy, just to remind me and ourselves that 
it's a, it's a state that, you know, those C words are, are really embodied states. Yeah. Mm -hmm. May I quote you again, uh, Susan, because I find this really remarkable, the, how much you stress out the, the, the importance of the body. And you say, in, again, in, in that chapter that you have, that I, I believe it's called Body and IFS. And you say, in addition to the IFS process of finding the burden in the body and releasing it through the elements, burdens may be released through breathing, sound, movement and touch. We can be aware of the spontaneous unburdenings occurring in the tissues, in the nervous system and in the body's alignment. So this is it, so, somehow burdens are in the body for you and the unburdening also happens through the body. That's how you see it? Yes, I would say unburdenings happen also in the body. And sometimes they happen first in the body. And, um, and, and at least the way I work seems to be kind of the way I maybe naturally, organically work, what's most comfortable for me. It turns out that in my work with my clients, these unburdenings tend to happen more spontaneously and as a process rather than as a more kind of orchestrated event where we say, are you ready to let go of that burden? Can you find that burden? How do you want to release the burden? You know, it's more like, um, um, I, I, it almost feels like there's different sort of layers of burden of unburdening. So for example, when a very isolated part that has never been contacted before, all of a sudden feels welcomed and, and feels trusting of self-energy, in a way, that's a bit of an unburdening. And you see that the, the voice changes and the person's body changes and the, the, their coloring and their, their, you know, their eye contact changes and their spine might lengthen. And, and you know, the more, more things are possible. You can just sort of feel or sense all of the other parts in the system begin to, begin to shift a bit. So, so that's maybe the first um, shift, or you could call it unburdening, that happens. But then as the part then forms that relationship with self and then the story is witnessed and then one gets a sense of what, um, what this part has been suffering from, what they've been carrying around over time, then you can be more specific. And of course, oftentimes, you know, I mean, even in traditional IFS, we say where in your body is that burden? Um, and sometimes, though, in, in a sort of ironic way, sometimes my clients don't find the burden in their body, you know. So, so sometimes I'll just, um, I'll just be acknowledging what is being released. Um, so, you're, you know, your, your breath is now coming deeper into your abdomen, isn't it? It seems like it's slowed down. Like, let's, let's let that happen, you know. Just bringing your awareness to that actually brings, brings about a change. Awareness itself. Is transformative, you know. Holding that body. <laughs> yeah, like, like, do you, what's what do you notice with your breath? Well, it's, I guess I'm breathing kind of shallowly, kind of fast. Well, just just watch that for a little while. Oh, it's funny as I as I watch it, it begins to um, slow down a little bit, get a get a little bit deeper. So, in a way, just simple awareness of what's happening in the body begins to bring more self energy into the system. That's why the, the foundational tool of all of the somatic practice, the foundational practice of all the somatic IFS practices is awareness because that really holds all the rest of them, leads up to all the rest of them. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model. Thank you, Susan. You had a wonderful and long journey with IFS. It's maybe about 25 years, I don't know, maybe Something that like long, that. yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I know you are saving some time now for uh, writing your book, mm -hmm. um, but you still, you, you you still train. You are still uh, the leading. I, I do level one, level two trainings for Center for Self Leadership. Not too many anymore. I used to do maybe one a month, um, but I'm not doing that many. But I'm also trying to um, reserve some of my time to offer. Um, trainings in um, somatic IFS because no one else is doing them and there's an increasing desire yeah. mm -hmm. to be trained in that so I tend to do more of those lately 
So what do you enjoy more in, in, in those trainings? There are, there are the, the sharing of the group, the demos, the meditations, the lecturing. What a, what a great question. Um, I think my first answer is I think I like it all. Yeah. Uh, I, I really surprised myself actually that I still have such, um, get such pleasure um, in, in satisfaction with with teaching even you know the basics you know i just i never get tired of it um i think you know i i i've realized recently not all that recently but anyway um i've realized that in addition to my you know that my intentions when i'm teaching are of course to to try to help people learn the ivs model that goes without saying but i'm also wanting in addition to people finding their own individual self-energy, I'm wanting the people in the group to discover the self of the group, to really have a, have a felt sense of the group coming together in a coherent wholeness that is bigger than the self of any individual. It's a larger so self, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we begin to really sense that self-energy is not something within me or within you, but it's something that maybe is that, 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 you know, that nothing that we think of as that space around us and the whole universe that we think of as nothing, but is actually everything. And you know, that perhaps that self energy and it, it comes into individuals and it comes into a group that, um, that is working with their burdens and unburdening them and growing in trust and growing in connection and, growing in love and compassion and understanding of each other. And that to me is, it's a palpable felt experience when, and we felt it in the last, um, the last training, mm -hmm. there were that 33 people in the, you know, 13 or whatever assist, uh, assistance that we had. Um, and, and I can tell from WhatsApp that, um, that the energy just keeps expanding and expanding as, as um, people are continuing to support each other and inform each other and you know the love just keeps flowing. So when that happens, and it doesn't happen in every training, but in my experience, it's happening more and more often for whatever mm -hmm. reason. But mm -hmm. when that happens, that really excites me and satisfies me. So so that I think happens through each of the components of the training that you named. You know, it happens mm -hmm. a lot in the demos. It happens a lot in the practice groups. It happens a lot just as the assistants hold self-energy within themselves mm -hmm. and also hold... And the groups hold. become larger and larger, right? Because, because now you can have up to 45 people in the room. Yes. Yes, and I used to really think that um, the groups needed to be smaller. But as, you know, that was just a, an idea that I had. And as I've held that idea more lightly and just waiting to see, well, what does happen in a larger group, uh, I'm, I'm finding, um, in fact, even in my, um, my somatic IFS retreats that I do every year in, in um, Costa Rica, I, I used to hold the group at um, 15 and then 18 and then 24. Mm -hmm. And now I'm experimenting with even a few more than 24. And like last year, we had, I think, 27, 28. And, and each year, I think it gets bigger and I think it gets better. So there, maybe there is something about... Um, the multiplied um, kind of exponential, mm -hmm. uh, you know, factor of self-energy. Self-energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just wanted to note that that you have accomplished so much um, as a psychotherapist and as a lead trainer and a pioneering advocate for the wisdom of the body. Oh. I'm, I'm curious if there's, if there's something yet that you aspire to. Some, some, some dream to chase. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not yet in a state, you know, I, th I think there's a certain um, sort of spiral maybe that we go through. Mm -hmm. And with my writing my book, I'm sort of in a, in, a, in a place on that cycle or that spiral where I'm integrating and synthesizing and putting it all in written form 
and looking forward to it being published and going out to the to the world um, in about a little over a year from now. Well, about a year from now, and and I'm anticipating that when when that process is complete, that then the energies then will be ready to flow in me in a different direction. And it might be a related direction of, which is born out of necessity of training more people to do what I do. Because it, it's likely that with the publication of this book, I will be getting even more than the already numerous requests for therapy and consultation that I'm getting. And I will want to be able to refer people out to, to them. Um, so I'm thinking that a um, sort of a very sort of practical next dream will, will be to find a way to, to do more, you know, more of that teaching. Um, but I might be surprised because it might be that when I'm really complete with, you know, when I've really completed this process and the book is out there, who knows, maybe I'll take up, you know, parasailing or something. <laughs> But I, you know, I, when we're this talk about um, the self energy just spreading and spreading, you know, I think what the two of you are doing is, is, um, you know, and, and also like with the online circle, you know, it's just kind of getting out there in, in cyberspace, you know, just, you know, the, the, the frequencies of, of embodied and, and, um, resonant self-energy is, I think, really traveling just and hopefully hopefully influencing all the places that this planet and the people on it and the beings on it so sorely need. So I think if I, if I don't have a dream, I at least have a prayer and a wish for that to happen. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, it was a joy to be here with you and Tisha, and I hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work, our lives. I feel the same way too. I feel just, just um, energized by um, by your wonderful questions, and well, both of you just always um, warm my heart. So thank you for giving me this time. This was an IFS Talks episode an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. And you, you know, Susan, today we, we have to honor Dick. Dick is celebrating his starting 70. Yes, I know. I want to send him an email. younger than me. I always tease them about being 